All right, so our scripture today is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. So let me encourage you to grab your Bible, and then you can stand as you have it, and I'll read it for us. First Corinthians chapter 6, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, that's page 966 in the Pew Bible if you need to use the Pew Bible. Now we're picking up uh, right from where we left off last week in the middle of a sentence, and Paul writes, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. The word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. All right, so this morning we continue on in our sermon series, Yet Always Rejoicing. And as I mentioned, I was hoping to get to our title verse, verse 10 this week, but hopefully that'll be next week. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the ministry of reconciliation. Paul introduces this theme at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, I've been making the point over the past number of weeks that the ministry of reconciliation is a sort of golden chain of discipleship. The ministry of reconciliation begins with God, who in Christ is trying to reconcile the world to himself. So the ministry of reconciliation begins with God. He passes it on to Jesus, who in turn passes it on to the apostles, who in turn pass it on to the church, that the church can pass it on to the world. So when Jesus is about to ascend, he calls his followers to himself, and he gives them the great commission. And so that's the language we have in the Gospels. Paul uses the language of ministry of reconciliation, but it's essentially the same thing. And we all have a part to play in the ministry of reconciliation in the Great Commission. I was so encouraged. I have been so encouraged about this uh, community youth group and Kevin sharing about it uh, this morning uh, with us here. But, But we all have a part to play in that, right? Just to extend the love of God to our communities. And some of us are going to do it in professional ways, in occupational ways, like what Kevin does outside the church or what I'm doing here inside the church. But all of us can just get to know people and extend the love of God and pray for opportunities to share the gospel as they emerge. And so we all have our ways of doing this. And Paul had his unique way of doing it. And we've been looking the last number of weeks at Paul's example as a minister of reconciliation to the Corinthians as a model for us as we engage in our ministry of reconciliation to the world. So I've noted last week I'd I'd see eight principles from verse uh, 520 through 613, eight principles of Paul's ministry of reconciliation that I'm encouraging us to emulate. And that's kind of this little mini-series within the, the series here. And so we've looked at Uh, the importance of receiving the gospel. That's kind of the first step, right? If we're going to be ministers of the gospel, we have to be sure that we've received the gospel. Then we need to embody the gospel. That comes out of the uh, verse 21 about becoming the righteousness of God. And then we need to make an appeal in the context of relationships. We want to avoid the appeal-only 
gospel proclamations, but we also want to avoid the appeal-less gospel proclamations, which in fact are not gospel proclamations. So we want to make an appeal. We want to remove unnecessary obstacles. This was last week uh, in uh, verse uh, 5, and then be willing to endure hardship. And that's the beginning there of verse 6, or 5 and 6. So today we pick up in verse uh, 6, 6 and 7. So chapter 6, 6 and 7, and um, looking at one more principle uh, that we can engage in as we uh, engage in the ministry of reconciliation. And I want to just, I should just say this too uh, before we get started, that I very much appreciate sort of Great Commission spirit of Calvary. I mentioned that we've been getting uh, more welcome registers in the last, since we brought out the welcome register uh, paper copies, more prayer requests uh, in the last number of weeks. And I would say that in the prayer requests, there's, a whole, there's all sorts of different things that you all are asking for prayer for, but probably the two that are the kind of the most reoccurring themes are prayers for health. So when there's health issues, uh, you're asking for prayer and that for yourself or for you know, friends and your family. Or you're, you're asking for prayer for the salvation of your loved ones, whether that's friends or family. Those are the two that probably show up with the most regularity. And so I would just, I would commend all of us in that, that there is a spirit of wanting those that we love and care for who don't know the love of God to come to know the love of God. And you were praying for that. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a person or two that you are praying for regularly, that they would come to know the love and grace of God. I would just encourage you to add their name to your prayer list. If you have a prayer list, or maybe put their name as a reminder in your phone and just pray for them as your phone reminds you or as the Lord brings, you to, brings them to mind. But we as a ministry staff and elders and deacons, we love praying for you, and we would love to join you in prayer for your loved ones. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism. You have to be like the Apostle Paul to participate in the Great Commission, right? Just praying for people, right? Just praying for people puts them on your heart, and then the Lord works by the Spirit through your prayers in their life, but is also working in your heart as you pray. And so as you pray for people, just pray for that the Lord would, in whatever way necessary or what works, would bring the love of God into that life and open yourself up to be used by God to be the, the, another link in the golden chain of discipleship. Maybe the Lord's going to work in that person's life completely independent of you, but maybe the Lord will do it through you. And, and I'm going to encourage you, if you're like, I'm not even quite sure who I should start praying for, pray about who you should pray for. Because it's very likely that the Lord will bring to mind the people that He wants you to pray for are also people that He would then use you in to bring the gospel to that person. And what that looks like, it's going to look like a lot of different things, right? It could be acts of service. It could be just relationships, just showing love. Opportunities to present the gospel emerge as the Lord brings them. But I encourage you to open yourself up and start praying uh, for folks. All right, so we look at our next principle this morning, and uh, here's the principle. Ministering the gospel like an apostle means demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in your life. People should see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, in verse 4, Paul begins 
to list the ways that he commends himself as a minister of the gospel. And this is what we looked at last week. So in verses 4 and 5, as he begins his list of ways that he commends himself, he notes some of the hardship that he endures. And we looked at that last week. But then in verse 6, right in the middle of the verse, his list takes a positive turn. So look back down here to verses 6 and 7. Or maybe start over in the middle of verse 5. He's listing all these kind of negative things or hard things, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And then he shifts right in verse 6. He starts talking about positive things, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, the weapons of righteousness in the right and left hand. Now, we could really slow down and we could drill down on each of the things that Paul mentions here. We could talk about purity and what is purity. We talk about knowledge and what is knowledge and what constitutes genuine love and kindness and truthful speech and how are these used to further the gospel. But rather than drilling down on each of the items in this list, I want to zoom further back and I want to consider what all of these things have in common. And it's right there in the middle of verse 6, the Holy Spirit. In these two verses, Paul is listing all of the things in his life that reflect the Holy Spirit's work in him. So in Galatians 6.22, which is a famous Pauline passage, he, he, he famously lists the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe you've heard the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what we're reading here in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 through 7, is another sort of fruit of the Spirit list. And the primary point I want to make this morning is not that we only commend ourselves through our willingness to love sacrificially and endure suffering, like we looked at last week. But we also commend ourselves, and we commend the gospel to others through the Holy Spirit's transforming work in our lives. It's because we have been transformed and are being transformed by the Spirit of Jesus that we more and more reflect Jesus' purity and kindness and genuine love and truthfulness and righteousness. Or to connect this back to what we saw a few weeks ago in chapter 5, verse 20, we are able to become the righteousness of God, verse 21, and embody the gospel because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So as we live out and demonstrate the reality of the life-transforming work of the gospel, that's coming because of the Spirit's work in our lives. It's because we have been and are being transformed by Jesus that we have something to testify back to, the, to the, our culture about. Now, last week I framed up a few of the principles that we looked at in the context of two ditches. So we're going back uh, to the two ditches this morning as well, because I think there are two ways that we can get this point wrong. We can either overrealize the Spirit's work in our lives, or we can under-realize the Spirit's work in our lives. And both mistakes are going to get in the way of our capacity to serve 
as ministers of reconciliation. So let's start with the ditch of over-realizing the transformation of the Spirit. In the first instance, in this first ditch, we can so idealize and emphasize the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that we end up presenting ourselves to non-Christians as holy and completely other. So maybe we would say implicitly or perhaps even explicitly something along the lines of that communicates, well, I used to be a sinner like you, but then God saved me and filled me with his spirit, and now look at me. I'm a new creation in Christ. And maybe we genuinely feel that way if we've had an especially dramatic conversion experience. And sometimes the contrast between our old life outside of Christ and our new life inside of Christ is, is so dramatically different that it feels like we're riding a, a wave of spiritual euphoria that just makes the Christian life effortless and easy. And that can be especially true of dramatic adult conversions. So maybe you've met someone who came to faith in life as an older teen or as an, as an adult, and the contrast between what they were and what they are now is just so dramatic, and, and uh, I think you can see that often in dramatic adult conversions. And if that's you this morning, if you've had a dramatic conversion, then God bless you, and I would say ride the wave of spiritual euphoria as far and as long as it will take you. That's a gift from God to kind of jumpstart the Christian faith. But the Christian life isn't always so easy and effortless. And if you talk to anyone who's been a Christian for more than, you know, five, six, seven, ten years, you know that there comes points in the Christian life where it just feels like a lot of work, it feels like a slog, things don't always seem to come as easy as they once did. And when that happens, when the euphoria of the honeymoon phase begins to wane, some of us can feel like we need to still present ourselves to the world around us, to the non-Christians that we would have opportunities to witness to. We need to present ourselves as though we are still effortlessly living the Spirit-filled, victorious Christian life. And so the Scriptures say that we should always be rejoicing, and so we always feel like we have to be rejoicing, even if we're not, we act like it. Or the Scriptures say that we shouldn't be led astray by fleshly desires, and so we don't ever admit, maybe even to ourselves, but certainly not to others, that sometimes we still are. Or the Scriptures say that we should have a spirit of love and gentleness at all times for all people, even for our enemies but then we don't. And we feel like we have to present ourselves to non-Christians as living the victorious and effortless spirit-filled life because who's going to listen to our gospel message about the life-transforming power of the Spirit of God if our lives haven't been transformed by the Spirit of God? But the fact is, Rome was not built in a day, and being conformed to the image of Christ doesn't happen in a day. And we're all a work in progress. And we have to be careful we don't over-realize or over-idealize the Spirit's work in our lives, to ourselves or to others. Because if we present ourselves one way as a finished product, all complete, or for all essential purposes, basically complete, when we're not really that way, 
we're not going to be commending ourselves with gospel integrity. We're not commending ourselves with truthful speech, as Paul mentions in verse 7. The world isn't looking for us to be something pretend, but something true and authentic and real. In Ephesians 1.14, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit who we receive upon our conversion as a deposit, as just a down payment, a guarantee of our future full inheritance. And we have to be careful that we don't act like we've already received the full inheritance or that we've already been fully conformed to the image of the Son. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says that we are being transformed day by day or from one degree of glory to the next. It's, it's not all at once. We need to be honest with ourselves and others about the sin that still lingers in our lives and the areas where we still need to grow and mature and posturing ourselves as a finished product or as mostly finished will invariably give off a scent of pride and untruthfulness precisely because we are not finished products. And that disconnect between who we say we are and who we really are will turn people off to the gospel. So that's one ditch, kind of the over-realized, grandiose vision of what it means to be transformed by the Spirit of God. But honestly, that's not the ditch that I'm perhaps most worried about. It's the opposite ditch. I think more of us are prone to under-realize the Holy Spirit's transforming work in our lives. The spirit of our age, kind of the, the rally cry of our age, the culture, is authenticity. Our culture says things like, be who you are. Be yourself. Don't hide yourself. Live without shame. And in the quest for authenticity, we can end up turning our vices into occasions to signal our virtue. Because the more authentic you are about your flaws, the better. It proves your authenticity when you're willing to bring your, your vices out into the open. And our culture has become somewhat cynical about any claim to true historically Christian virtues like chastity, purity, hard work, honesty, discipline, integrity, sacrificial kindness. And so we as Christians, I fear, can sometimes get sucked into this same way of thinking about Christian virtues and discipleship and the Spirit's transforming work in our lives. We consider the idea of being transformed by the Spirit as an unrealistic expectation, fit mainly for hypocrites and judgmental Christians who aren't willing to be truly honest. And so we content ourselves with being authentic about our sin and our vices. And so we say things to non-Christians like, oh, you're a porn addict? Oh, well, aren't we all? You spend six hours a day on Instagram? Oh, join the club. You scream at your kids? Oh, me too. Kids are the worst. <laughs> kids, you're not the worst. I love you. Your parents do too, most days. 
We adopt, our mod we, we adopt as our motto the old bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. And so we content ourselves with an underrealized vision of discipleship that we don't really have anything to offer the world. But that's not an accurate picture of the gospel. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, something happens within us and to us that makes us fundamentally different people. A true spiritual miracle happens that allows us, as Paul says in Romans 6, 11, to die to sin, but to live to God in Christ Jesus. So when you read throughout the New Testament, the expectation of the New Testament is that something should be happening inside of us. So in Christ, we are born again, John chapter 3. We are set free from sin, Romans 6. We become God's temple, 1 Corinthians 3. We are being renewed, 2 Corinthians 4. We are new creations, 2 Corinthians 5. We are made alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1. Raised up with Christ, Colossians 3. Circumcised in our hearts, Colossians 2. Born of imperishable seed, 1 Peter 2. And born of God, 1 John chapter 3. So we're not perfect, that's true. But we're not just forgiven. And having a just forgiven vision of the gospel is a truncated vision of what the New Testament offers out. So if you're prone to under-realize the Spirit's work in your life, to, consent, to content yourself with being authentic, which perhaps is just code for authentically sinful, let me pass the smelling salts under your nose and remind you that not every Christian man is addicted to pornography, and not every Christian woman spends six hours on Instagram. And not every Christian parent screams at their kids. Those are the sorts of things that Jesus came to save us from. He didn't come to simply forgive us and then to leave us wallowing in our sins. He died and rose again to release the Holy Spirit's transforming power into our lives. So to look back, if you turn your page over back to 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul acknowledges this reality. He says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. It doesn't mean we're a finished product, and we should not present ourselves as a finished product, because there's a lot of work that the Lord has to do in our lives to get us to the finished product. But we are not just left to ourselves. It's not just get forgiven and I'll see you in heaven and then I'm going to do the transformation work. Our lives are the work of transformation in the Spirit of God working in us one degree of glory to another, bit by bit by bit, from day by day. Because who's going to listen to our gospel message about the life-transforming power of the Spirit of God if our lives haven't been transformed by the Spirit of God. 
So which ditch are you most likely to fall into? Are you more likely to fall into the ditch of an over-realized, over-idealized spirituality, tempted to present yourself as more of a finished product than you really are? Or are you more likely to fall into the ditch of an under-realized spirituality, having too low of an expectation about what the Spirit of God is going to do in your life and can do in your life and transforming you into the image of the Son, contenting yourself with simply being authentic and not expecting any transforming power of God. Both ditches will make us ineffective as ministers of the gospel. The world does want genuine authenticity, and that's not wrong. And we should be genuine and authentic as Christians. But we should be genuinely and authentically striving to be all that God wants us to be. Let's be honest about our shortcomings, because we all have shortcomings. We, we have to be honest about our shortcomings. And let's celebrate our victories. And if we fall down, as we all invariably will fall down, let's stand on the kindness, let's land on the kindness, rather. Let's fall down on the kindness and grace of Jesus, and then let's get up and let's try again. And by the Spirit's grace to keep moving forward, to keep opening ourselves up to His transforming work in our lives, and some sins are harder to shake off than other sins, and some people are harder to love than other people. But we keep moving forward in the work that God is doing in our lives, being honest about where we're at, but being transformed. I mentioned Nicholas Cabasilius. He's a 14th century theologian, and I've been quoting him a number of times, and I and, uh, was reading him again. And there's a quote here that I found super encouraging uh, for me personally, and I would commend it to you, because I think sometimes we can recognize that we should be moving forward in the Christian life. We genuinely strive and try, and then we fall short, and, and, uh, and then there's that invariably that sense of shame, and we kind of retreat back and away from God, and, and, uh, and it's hard to get going again. But this was such an encouraging quote. Listen to what he says. He says, of the many things which impede our salvation, the greatest of all is that when we commit any transgression, we do not at once turn back to God and ask forgiveness. Because we feel shame and fear, we think that the way back to God is difficult and that He is angry and ill-tempered towards us and that there is need of great preparation if we wish to approach Him. But the loving kindness of God utterly banishes this thought from the soul. What can prevent anyone who clearly knows how kind he is and that as it is said in the scriptures, while you are yet speaking, he will say, here I am, from approaching him at once for pardon of the sins which he has committed. We're all going to stumble and fall as the Spirit is pulling us forward into transformation. And when we fall, that's not an occasion to retreat away from God. We don't retreat away from His loving kindness. We, we, we fall into it, and we quickly confess our sins. And we come back to Him, and we try again and again and again. And as we keep ourselves in His presence, His Spirit is working in us and changing us so that we fall less and less and less. Don't let your fear that God is 
somehow displeased with you or scowling at you, make you run away from Him as you strive to move forward in the Spirit-filled life. Listen, here's the bottom line. To be effective ministers of the gospel, we just have to genuinely and authentically love God. That's it. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't ever have to get rid of all of our stumbling. As the Apostle James writes to his fellow Christians, we all stumble in many ways, and it's okay. Let's just take God at His word, trust Him for great things, pray for great things, and expect great things. And in a spirit of true Holy Spirit authenticity, let's minister the love and grace of Jesus to others as the, Lord's, as the Lord directs. We're going to close by singing the goodness of Jesus. And it's the goodness of Jesus that brought us to God to begin with. And it's in the goodness of Jesus that we marinate and live as Christians. And it's the goodness of Jesus that we give out to those that need to hear of the love and grace and kindness of God. So be brought back into the goodness of Jesus and the promise that he gives us of his transforming work by his spirit in our lives. And that let's extend that to those that God is bringing into our paths so that we can be another link in the golden chain of discipleship. Father, thank you that you, that you began this ministry of reconciliation, that you unleashed it in the world through Christ, and that this golden chain has reached even as far as us gathered here. And I pray that you would continue to, to polish us up and to make us bright, but I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to be real and true and honest about where we're at and where we're not at and not try to pretend we're something that we're not or try to act like something that we're not, just to, to trust you and to be content in our imperfections, contentedly discontent, knowing that you are bringing us forward. So God, help us to keep looking and trusting in you. And may the genuine authenticity of our trust and dependence in your Spirit's work in our lives be used by you to bring others into the love and grace and kindness that you've extended to us in Jesus. So Lord, help us to drink deep of the goodness of Jesus and extend it to others, we pray. In your Son's name, amen. <laughs>